Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, first time for me up here reading from uh, the Word of God. So go easy on me with some of the um, more complex names that are in here. But we'll see how we go. So th this morning's reading is from Acts 21, verse 27, to Acts 22, um, to verse 29. In the uh, Bible that's got just Holy Bible on the front of it, it's page 789. And in the other Bible that's got a bit more stuff written on it, including Holy Bible, um, it's at page 1,118. So if you just want to follow along, these days I need my glasses. <laughs> okay. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. As the barracks were about to take Paul, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led some, or led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they were very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions 
saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all Jews living there. He stood there, he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to, uh, he said to leave. He said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another in prison to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they shouted, and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Good on you, Roger. Thanks for that and good reading. We wouldn't have known the difference in any of the translations of those names anyway, and with your sort of quasi Canadian accent, that sounded pretty funky anyway. Good job. Uh, let's uh, come before the Lord in a word of prayer and then work through this passage. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for this time that we shared together as your people. We thank you that you've called us to uh, read this word today and we pray uh, you'd help us to understand a bit more of it and find some encouragement uh, for our lives as we seek to live to please you. Thank you for your kindness in uh, calling us to be your people and teaching us about yourself and how you want us to live. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got a bulletin there, you'll probably find that handy just so you can... Uh, get a handle on where we're going through this fairly long passage. Thanks, David. Good job. I've titled the introduction, The Storms of Life. I've heard it said 
that life can be like going through storms. Sometimes you're doing okay and things can feel calm enough in life. But you think that you might be headed into a storm. In fact, sometimes you know, you know you're headed into a storm. A few years ago when I was uh, taking a trip overseas, I don't do that regularly, by the way. Um, I've only done it once. Uh, I went to Indonesia and I was on a 747 from Melbourne that was kind of running out of fuel by the time it was uh, getting to the island of Bali. And uh, the plane had to abort a landing as we were coming into the airport in the fog and the monsoon rain, uh, he, had to, he had to pull out because if he kept going down through the fog, we would have crash landed. It was gonna be a big deal. And so we took off again before the landing and I knew that we had to turn around. And at some point, because we were running out of fuel, we, we had to land this plane. Well, I didn't, the pilot did. Uh, but as we came back in, I knew that we had to go back through the storm. The visibility was dreadful, the rain was solid. Uh, and I must say, in the plane at that time, it was probably a little bit like this room. There was no joking and laughing. Uh, people were fairly tense, you know, whites of their knuckles gripping their armrests and things like that. It was a, it was a tense time as we were going into that storm. Well, fortunately, we did have a landing. It wasn't my favourite. Uh, it was a hard landing, as sometimes you see those YouTube clips of 747s skidding sideways up the runway because they're shaped like big sayos or something like that. They don't always flip over. Uh, but at the point when we did realise that uh, we were still in one piece, uh, the crowd began to clap and cheer because we were still alive and we were through the storm, safe and sound. Now that can be a little bit of a metaphor for life though, can't it? As we think about uh, the struggles and the strains that we go through in life. Sometimes we know we're going into a storm. At other, life, at other times in life rather, we know that we are really in the midst of one. Uh, life can be very chaotic. Things can be pretty awful on a number of fronts. And it can be very difficult sometimes in the midst of some stages of life, even just to, to get out of bed and to keep enduring. There are some times in life we know that, that are hard, that are stressful, uh, and it's not easy. Those are the times we feel like we're probably in the middle of a storm, and it's, it's not very comfortable at all. And then there's those times when we, we feel like we might be through the worst of some troubles, and we can just see that things are just, just starting to calm down again in life. And we think, thankfully, at long last, I can see, yeah, we're on our way out of the storm. Now, as we've um, been reading through the book of Acts uh, in recent times, uh, as we glance back at it, it looks like there's been some pretty tense times, doesn't it? It looks like there's been a series of storms that the, the people of God have been going through as they're seeking to bear witness as the word spreads throughout the world from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It looks like there's been some very tense times. And Paul, who's been a big part of that gospel going out, seems to have found himself, himself in, the, in the midst 
of different storms also. Often on the move, facing hostile mobs, imprisoned at times and facing beatings. He recounts that he spent a night and a day in the open sea. I don't even like to be in the open sea for more than half an hour, I get cold. As we see the word spreading out, it's, it continues to spread and as it happens, Paul finds himself, and we've seen it today from the passage that Roger read, uh, Paul finds himself at the centre of a storm again, once more. So today as we look at Paul and learn from his example as a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let's see what we can learn from the way that he, he managed himself as he sought to be faithful to the Lord. Let's see if we can take something from Paul's example as a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ and as we think about our lives, let's think about what it's going to mean for us also to be people who respond to God's grace to us. Let's think about how we might respond to God's grace to us as we find ourselves in the various storms of life that, that we're in. But first, let's have a look at Paul's experience of being a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ as he worked through some of the storms of life. Okay, well, the first point in the outline you'll find is Paul the persecuted in chapter 21 to 27 to 40. Uh, as uh, Roger read that, I was conscious there's a lot of information there that you, you're probably trying to take in. Uh, and so I'm hoping to make this sermon quite helpful in consolidating some of that and just to make a bit of sense out of it. You might have noticed from the tone of this passage that things are fairly intense you could say that it's starting out like a, it starts out well, it's like a, a jet that's going into clear blue skies, uh, not a cloud in sight and no headwinds. There's Paul, he's back in Jerusalem, he's brought the collection from the churches as a goodwill offering to help the poor in Jerusalem and he's trying to be all things to all men. To the Jews, he's living like a Jew so as to win them to Christ. And last week, as Scott preached, we saw that he's been through a purification ritual, something that, that was an option for the Jews who were living under the law. And now he's come to the end of that time of purification in this passage. Seven days have almost come to pass. And he's with four others and he's on his way to the temple to make the offerings in the temple at that time. And soon the clear blue skies begin to change. Thick and dark clouds, like a thunderstorm, appear on the horizon and things start to get out of hand, don't they? Things start to get unpredictable as Paul engages a crowd of zealots. Here we see that there's some misunderstandings that lead to some mob violence. When you think about mob violence, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I think about the Cronulla riots, the Sutherland riots, and images of hefty policemen with capsicum spray squirting people in the eyes, dragging some people at risk out of a difficult situation. 
And here what we find is that Paul's in a very tense situation himself. Jews from Asia take an opportunity to spread some misinformation about Paul. In verse 28, if you're picking up the reading there, Luke tells us they stirred up the whole crowd and seizing him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone, everywhere, against our people and our law and this place. Really? Against our people? This is the guy who says later, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound in chains. This is the man who says in one of his letters in Romans, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He wrote that before he was even facing this situation. Paul's not against his own people. On the contrary, he wants them to be saved along with the Gentiles. Did you notice any of the irony in their remarks as well? He's against the law and against this place. Well, Paul's in the middle of carrying out a purification rite that's prescribed by the law. And he was there in the temple, temple to, to finish off that job as well. Paul doesn't get in their way. But some take it upon themselves to spread some false accusations against him. Picking up in verse 28. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Well, that was a big mistake that one was uh, advised to avoid, taking a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. In fact, uh, just a little bit of a side interest here, a bit of ancient history for you to get those having a bit of a nap, waking them up. Uh, there was a couple of notices that were discovered in, in history. In 1871 there was a notice and in 1935 both of these notices were written in Greek. And this is what they read. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear, bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. And so this is a tense thing. This is a, it's a heavy-duty charge given to Paul because they're implying that he's aiding and abetting and participating in a Gentile entering into those courts, which is punishable by death. And one commentator pointed out that Jews believe the temple remained profaned until the trespasser had been executed. Well, let's see what happens next in verse 30. The whole city was aroused and the people came rushing from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. It's, a, it's an ominous sign, isn't it? These gates are now shut. The message of Jesus is shut out from the temple and God's messenger Paul has also been excluded it reminds us of that little section in John's Gospel where Judas goes out and we read it and it was night. It's, it's a foreboding perhaps sign here. We know about 15 years later the temple is destroyed. They're not going to get a hearing for the Gospel in the temple again and Paul's not going to return. In verse 31 we read, While they were trying to kill him, 
news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So now the Roman commander gets involved. He arrests Paul because he's probably less concerned about Paul and more concerned about the fact that there's a riot on his watch. Verse 35 says, When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. Here's Paul in the midst of a storm, isn't he? The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Once again, Paul finds himself in, in the centre of some hostility. And it's on, his, on account of his reputation for being a Christian. And Paul finds that he's back with his home people, his hometown, if you like, but he doesn't really fit in there, does he? He doesn't really fit in with the Jews anymore. How's Paul going to respond to their zeal and their fury? How's Paul going to respond to these people who are trying to kill him? Well, we're going to see in a few moments that he, he keeps his head together and he, he loves them. He, he responds with love. But it's time for us to slow down a little bit from this story and think a little more carefully about our, our own lives just for a moment. It's pretty clear that Paul's not finding it easy to fit in in that situation. That's pretty obvious. He hasn't gone out of his way to inflame the situation, but things have certainly deteriorated since he's ended up back in Jerusalem. But can we relate to Paul's experience of not fitting in? Can you relate to an experience of not fitting in? A few years ago, I can recall, I was going to a, a, a high school end of year staff dinner, one of those Christmas party things where the, the staff in a workplace get together. Do you like going to those? <laughs> I went because I wanted to be an encouraging guy, be a Christian bloke, mix it with all and sundry. There wasn't a lot within that really wanted to go there. Anyway, at some point in the night, I thought, I think I've had enough of this. I want to go home. And so I said to one of my friends, OK, well, I'm, I'm going. I'm out of here. He said, yep, no worries. Don't hang around where you're not wanted. <laughs> and he said it as a joke. And of course, it stuck with me, didn't it? You know, I can remember it today. Don't hang around where you're not wanted. Okay, well, why did it stick with me? Well, I didn't really feel that wanted. <laughs> I'm not blaming the people there for that. Probably half of them didn't feel wanted either. I had some reasonable connections. But I was one of very few Christian people within that state school community. And from time to time, it was a bit clear that we had different values. 
and I didn't feel like I was always easily fitting in. I don't know, maybe that's just because I'm a bit quirky. But I don't think I'm alone in that experience of not fitting in either because I've been to enough social gatherings, enough weddings and funerals and get-togethers to notice even bush dances and barn dances that people can feel like sometimes they're on the outer and they don't really fit in to a certain place. They can feel like a shag on the rock while other people are chatting and standing around feeling like a dummy. And I think as Christians sometimes we can feel a little bit in common with Paul where he's not accepted, he's not fitting in. And sometimes Christians can be a bit marginalised. In the sporting clubs your kids might belong to, you might feel a bit on the outer. In your neighbourhoods, if there's a neighbourhood party going on at Christmas time, Christians sometimes get referred to, at least on talkback radio, as the do-gooders. Those do-gooders, the stuff shirts, and sometimes the wowsers. And even if we can tolerate those within the community, communities that we find ourselves, we can, we can tolerate other people as Christians. We're tolerant. But sometimes we won't always find that we're welcomed with open arms. But the Bible tells us that God welcomes us. God welcomes us. God's provided a way for us to fit into his family. God has cost him his son to bring us into his family, to be adopted into his family. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us to bring us into his family. He died on the cross to bear our sins and he's raised us to life again, to give us life with God. And for those who turn back to God, in faith and repentance, the good news is that God is gracious, he's merciful and he's forgiving and he adopts us into his family. And that was a message that we've seen through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You'll become part of God's family. You and your whole household. Isn't that a comfort? And so since God has brought us into his family, since we've been adopted into God's family, it's important that you realise that even if you don't fit in out there, you fit in here. And so I'd like to tweak that little saying, you know, don't hang around where you're not wanted. I'd want to say, hang around because you are wanted. You're wanted by God and you're wanted by the church. Certainly from what Benjamin said earlier, Benjamin wants you. He's, he'll be on the phone. <laughs> Let's turn now to the next section, Acts section 2, Paul's witness in chapter 22, 1 to 21. In chapter 22, we have an account of Paul's witness having managed escaping being beaten to death. Paul now begins his 
defence against the accusation that he's both anti-Jew and the accusation that he's brought a Gentile into the temple area. And Paul, he's almost like a, a good negotiator here. Do you notice this? He, he actually starts to blend with the Jews. This, this language is filled with trying to connect with the people. And it's because he's got this goal of being all things to all men to win them to Christ that he's, that he's trying to blend with them. And he uses his defence as a platform to spread the good news. As Paul spoke with them in, his, in their native language, he's already getting off first base, isn't he? He's, he's speaking with them in the, the language that they understand. And he reminds them that of his own ethnic background as well, that he was a Jew just like them. Although he was born in Tarsus, you know where Tarsus is, by the way? It's around uh, Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, just as you head up from Syria and turn left. That's, that's where, in that neighbourhood. The important thing is he wanted them to know that he was one of them and he grew up in Jerusalem. He was even taught by one of the greatest teachers of the Pharisees of the time, that man called Gamaliel. We learn about him in Acts chapter 5. And in order to keep it, making it easy for his audience to hear and understand him and identify them, he starts to talk about his connection in the past in verse 3. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And so he's saying, in the same way that you're a bunch of zealots, well, I was, I was just like that. I'm just like you. And on top of that, to, to show that he's like them, I mean, they're persecuting him, and he starts to tell them how he used to persecute the Christians as well. Well, he started to gain some common ground with the mob now, saying... I was just as zealous for God as you are today. And then he begins to take a different tack. He starts to push a different barrow, if you like, and share with them about Jesus, the righteous one who changed his life. In verse 6, if you're following along, about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Paul's drawing attention to his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And then he goes on in the next section to repeat what uh, Ananias, who's described as a faithful and devout Jew, goes and says in verse 14, he said, Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptised and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so the angry crowd heard Paul's story. He's starting to make a defence of what's going on in the temple and their false accusations, but he starts to use this to share his story about God's work in his life. Acts chapter 22 is a story about how 
a zealous Jew saw the light, so to speak. It's the story of how Saul the Pharisee became Paul the Christian. And Paul writes of himself about this change in 1 Timothy. He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul gets it wrong. He doesn't think of Jesus as the Messiah. He makes the mistake of thinking that because Jesus dies as a suffering servant, he's the wrong Messiah. But Jesus has made all the difference to Paul's life. As he meets the risen Lord Jesus, he seems to realise that, yes, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He is what's described in this passage as the righteous one, which might be an allusion to a passage in Isaiah 53:11. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities, which is a word for their shortcomings, their sin. As Paul prepared to defend himself against the false charges, he recounts the work of Jesus in his life and he doesn't quite get to defend himself. Did you notice that? He's on the way there, but he doesn't quite get to the point in the story where he said, yeah, I was at the temple with four others. We were doing the right thing. Picking it up in verse 17 now. Verse 17, he still continues with the work of the Lord in his life. <clears throat> when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple... I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. <clears throat> and at this point in the conversation, things uh, start to become self-fulfilling prophecies. Jesus says they won't accept uh, your testimony about me. And he's um, speaking to a, a group of people who aren't accepting his testimony about Jesus. Things start to go even more pear-shaped uh, and things get tricky. In verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Paul shares his story so that they might also come to a knowledge of Jesus as the righteous one, the one who bears their iniquities, the one who would justify them. That's why he's sharing the news about Jesus, to have their sins washed away as well. But they're reluctant. And the news that Paul would uh, get sent to the Gentiles seems to be the thing that just ticks them off and uh, flips the switch and infuriates them and in some ways we're probably reminded a little bit about the parable <coughs> of the prodigal son and the two sons one's the, the second brother I happen to be a second brother uh, the second brother <coughs> he uh, wastes the father's wealth he's the lost one who's, who's dead and becomes alive again he's lost and found but the older brother in the story he represents some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and in Luke 15, he uh, comes to hear that there's a party going on at the house. There's people who've come in and are celebrating. There's music and there's dancing. And we're told that the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. 
And in this story in Acts, it seems to be that the news that the Gentiles are going to be coming in to become the people of God as well, that infuriates this crowd. They're a bit like that old brother. They can't handle it that the Gentiles are entering the kingdom of God and uh, it's too much for them. But we've had Paul's story now, haven't we? Paul's life's been transformed. He's come to know Jesus as the Son of God. He's come to know that Jesus is God's Messiah who's risen and reigns as Lord. But now it's time to reflect again in application on, on our situation. Think about your story. If you were summoned to give an account for your life, what might your story sound like? And what might my story sound like? Can you recall seeing life a bit differently today from maybe the way you've seen it in the past? Can you look back on your life and think about how God's worked in your life? When you've heeded that call to turn back to Jesus? When you've asked for forgiveness of your sins? And when you've asked God to help you to live with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Can you remember times in life where you've turned back to God as well? And if you were asked about your life and, and what you value now and what, what, what you stand for, what would be included in your story? We've heard Paul's story. What would be in our story? <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, I went back to my 30th school reunion. It was an interesting time. I think it was a bit stressful even thinking about going back to a bunch of kids from the school that I went to in town here. <clears throat> And I thought about some of my conversations with people. One of the ladies I spoke to, I said, you know, I'm sorry about not being that nice a guy at school. And she said to me, oh, don't worry, Peter, you told me that at your 20-year reunion as well. You can just put that behind you now. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, we, as we think about the lives that we might have lived and, and some of the things that we're sorry about, well, Paul's probably pretty sorry about how he's lived and the persecution he's done, but God's changed his life. But as we think about our stories and as we um, engage with and we share who we are, um, maybe we could use our story to talk about God's work in our life. Maybe we could use our story to give a reason for the hope that we've got in Jesus as um, as we talk to people as well. I think that's what Paul's done with his story to help people know the Lord too. Let's um, wrap this sermon up, friends. We're in point three now. Paul's rejected. In our final section, we notice things seem to go from bad to worse. Paul's rejected by the crowd. He's not out of the storm. In verse 21, Paul told the crowd... Uh, sorry, he finished his d- defence speech... Verse 21, then the Lord said to me, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Well, there was no guarantees that these people were ever going to listen to Paul. 
Jesus tells us, don't, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give your, to dogs what is sacred. Because if you do, they'll trample them under your feet, under their feet, and then they'll turn and tear you to pieces. You know, some people, we've got this treasure. The gospel is a treasure. And some people don't want to know about it. So what do we do? Aggravate them and put it in their face? Well, no. We don't have to throw our pearls before swine. We have to evaluate who are the dogs and who are the swine so that we don't get trampled and torn to pieces. Well, there's no guarantees that pearls of wisdom from Paul were going to be received here. And they seem to be trampled underfoot by this group. And the commander doesn't understand these charges against Paul and he goes to take him to get a beating to find out what's going on. So he orders Paul to be flogged to get some information out of him. You know, in my reading for this sermon, it was a bit distressing to see some of the pictures of the whips and the flowers that they were going to use to actually get information out of people. They had straps with leather, with lead balls on the end of it. Some of them had knuckle bones covered over the whole thing. And uh, these were the instruments that were designed to help people to spill the beans, as they say. Well, Paul seems to leave it to the 11th hour, doesn't he, before he tells the interrogators that he's actually a Roman citizen. He's waiting until he's sort of stretched out, ready to be flogged, and then uh, maybe he's doing this so that he's already got a little bit of leverage over them. They've already kind of breached what they should be doing. And uh, he sort of maybe uses this to stay within the Roman legal system. Pick it up in verse 25. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. This might be a point of saying Paul's actually got a little bit more rank. He, this guy had to pay for his. He's more like a mercenary. Paul's, Paul's born one. Verse 29, those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised that he'd put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So this guy could be in strife. His interrogators realised that they're now, they've now blundered and Paul manages to stay uh, within the Roman system of justice as, a, as opposed to be handed over to the, the Jewish Sanhedrin where he's likely to be beaten to death. But what can we take of this situation now at this point in the story? You know, what's the, what's the take-home message for, for us group of people here in Port Macquarie? Well, I think one of the themes that we can see here is God can actually bring good out of bad. Acts is a story about the spread of the word throughout the world by God's witnesses. And here... In God's providence, Paul happens to be a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, the net result is he can stay in the Roman system and 
he gets to appeal, as we'll see, to Caesar. And so the gospel spreads from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and it spreads to the very centre of the, the known world in Rome. And, and God uses Paul's Roman citizen to, to spread the word. So even though this is a, a very difficult situation that Paul finds himself in, a great deal of hardship and adversity with this crowd and ready to get flogged and whatnot, God can bring good out of this evil. God can bring good out of this bad. Now, it's worth then thinking about our lives as well. From time to time, we can wonder, can't we, what is God doing in my life? Have you ever had moments like that where you find yourself in a complicated situation, faced with very little hope, it seems, and you can wonder, what is God doing in my life? I've found myself in a, in a clumsy situation, in a weak spot. How did it come to be like this? Have I missed out on something? Well, I imagine that Paul felt a great deal of uncertainty and strain on himself as he's in this situation as well. He doesn't know how things are going to play out. He doesn't know everything. But what we can see from the book of Acts is God brings good out of bad. God's will is done as the gospel continues to spread throughout the world and all kinds of people benefit from that. All kinds of people get their lives transformed. It is amazing, isn't it, to think what the gospel message does in people's lives. People who are on a, on a pathway to destruction and sorrow find themselves enjoying forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt, and given hope in life in the face of death, no less, and also a group of people to belong to, to make their way through life. It's a gift. And so this gospel message, this will of God to spread out, to give people life with God, life both now and everlasting, continues to go, even as God brings good out of bad in this story. And so we should take a little bit of comfort from that too as we reflect on our, our own lives. You might think, yeah, I'm not sure how the sovereignty of God's working in this season of difficulty for me right now. I'm not sure how God's working this out. But we can take confidence in the goodness of God and his providence. He does provide and he brings good out of bad. Jesus rem reminds us not to worry. He tells us that people are worth more than the birds and God even provides for the birds and so in the midst of uh, life's difficulties and uncertainties hard times and you might be experiencing some hard times right now let's continue to be people who trust in the Lord who provides we can see that God provides we've got it in black and white here in his word that brings me to the conclusion about trusting God in the storms of life at times, life can feel like we're going through a series of storms, can't it? Sometimes we might not feel like we're fitting in in the world. We see that Paul, a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus, he didn't feel like he fitted in either. But God fits us into his family. We enjoy being part of God's family, adopted into his family. And hang around because you're wanted here. You can fit in here. If you fit into God's family, you can fit into this family. 
And as we think about Paul sharing his story in life so that those people might come to know Jesus as their righteous one, we can think about God's work in our life too, can't we? We can think about what God's done to change us, to to make us different today than the people we would have been. And as we think about God's work in our life, we can share some of that and we can be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we've got in Jesus. We can't guarantee the results. That's between people and God, but we can still share some of God's work in our life. And finally, we can see in this passage that God can bring some good out of bad. And so if you're finding yourself in experiences where life is particularly difficult, where there's a great deal of uncertainty and it's not a very comfortable time, don't forget that God cares and he provides. His will will be done. He'll bring in his kingdom and nothing's going to stop it and we can be confident in the goodness of God in our lives. So may the Lord bless you and bless me, hopefully, this week as we continue to follow Paul's example of being just faithful servants of the Lord, trusting in the Lord. And may God help us and strengthen us to walk closely with him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord God, as we um, think about this, these circumstances that the Apostle Paul found himself in, these seasons of storms, and as we reflect on our lives and some of the times when we face storms as well, we, we give you thanks that you care for us and you provide. We give you thanks that we fit into your family because you've adopted us into your family as your children, and we give you thanks that we enjoy your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and has borne them, has washed us clean, and we give you thanks that we stand in your grace now. Lord, we give you thanks that because we're in your family, we can fit into this family. And we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of what it means for each one of us to be present and accounted for as your people here in this church. Lord, we pray that as we seek to reach out to the world and take responsibility to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ, as we seek to be engaged in your mission to seek and save the lost, help us to be mindful of how we can even share some of the message of what you've done in our life as you've you've opened our eyes and helped us to see the light that's found in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that uh, you'd help us to be humble and wise in the way that we share our, our message with the world. And Lord God, we give you thanks today that we can see that in your sovereignty, even through difficult circumstances, you can bring about your plans And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take some comfort in your sovereignty and goodness and remember that your kingdom will come and nothing will stop that. And we give you thanks that we we are those who receive your provision, that you do care for us and you provide for us. Lord, we give you thanks for this day that we can share together now as we reflect on your word as your people and we pray that you'd help us to have a, a meaningful and encouraging time over morning tea together. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.